0: Om yogena chittasya padena vacham Malam Sharirasya sya chavadhyakena pravaram Muninam Patanjalim pranjali I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of the body through medicine. So in the last class, we stopped our discussion while studying the 10th sutra of the second chapter of Patanjali Yoga Sutra where we find the process of getting rid of the afflictions has been indicated. What's that sutra? Te Pratiprasava heya Sukshma See it actually in short is indicating the entire process, entire spiritual process by which we can get rid of the afflictions. The afflictions as we have told the Panchaklesha, Avidya, Asmita, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Very interesting that we generally the notion is, we generally have the notion that it is the. Actions. It is our work which binds us, but actually, it is not the action that binds us. If the action is kliṣṭa, if any of the vritti, if any of the mental modulations is kliṣṭa, is emotive, is bound by some this uh, any of these five afflictions. Then only it becomes a cause of bondage. There are two types of vrittis. Jnana vritti and the vritti. To be more precise, there are three types of vrittis. Jnana vritti, pragya vritti and the vritti. So what are they? The vritti as we told, any mental, mental modulation is vritti. Now Jnana vritti. Now throughout our day to day life, there are so many things which gives us mere knowledge. When I am just looking at the table or the chair, no emotion is involved in that. And that type of knowledge, that type of vritti in no way is going to bind us, is not the reason for our transmigration from life to life. Similarly, the pragya vritti, all the more mental modulations which we adopt as our spiritual practice like japa, dhyana, those are the pragyavritti. or thinking of your real self, constantly discriminating that what you are and what you are not. Those are all pragyavritti. They uh, obviously don't, uh, don't bind us and at the same time it's actually the cause of our liberation. So the only vritti which is of our concern is the krishta vritti, the food which I like. The moment I see, it is not only the knowledge which I get out of it, immediately a raga, an attachment for it grows or someone I don't like. The moment I see that person, it is not just jnana, immediately hatred or aversion is developing. And these kleshas, these afflictions, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, is the cause of our bondage. That's what binds us. That's what results in the process of transmigration, which we will take up today while studying the to, from twelfth to the fourteenth sutras. We will take that up, but before that, the tenth sutra, in gist speaks of the entire spiritual process uh, by removing the afflictions which with which our vrittis are tagged. How it happens? As we have studied that the Kriya Yoga with which this chapter, the second chapter started, that the three practices, tapa, swadhyaya, ishwara, pranidhana. These are the three practices which has been uh, titled as, nomenclature as the Kriya Yoga. So what are the, the tapas? Anything where I am trying to delay my gratification, any practice by which I am trying to delay my gratification, I am not just conceding to the impulses that entails in tapas. So tapas doesn't mean that you have to stand in one feet throughout the day or maybe for years together. All those practices may have its implications but here in the spiritual sense the real tapas is the delaying of the gratification and that helps you to grow detachment. As in the last class we were saying that how it happens, the common example when you are fasting for the first time when you are fasting by the Time, it's the the time for your lunch. You feel terribly hungry. Now, as you have resolved that you are going to fast throughout the day, you just restrain yourself from having food. And the impression, the first impression is, most probably with this pang of hunger, hunger, I have to continue throughout the night. It is going to be a quite arduous job, challenging job. But a very interesting thing, you will find by late afternoon, suddenly the pangs of hunger has, hunger has vanished. It's no more there. What has happened? That when in the lunch time, it is time for you to take food, the hunger, the pangs of hunger, hunger is nothing but the biological alarm system. The biological alarm system is set on asking you to have food. And when you ignore that, after some time, the alarm system itself gets tired, it stops. And now you will find those who fast, they all know it. That the pangs of hunger continues for some time, after that it stops and then you can continue with your fasting, with your rituals, with a light body, with a refreshed body for the rest of the night. So why we are giving this example? that yes, to certain extent the will is required to get rid of the impulses, the obsessions, which I find is not allowing me to progress in my spiritual journey. So to certain extent the willpower is required, but it, I won't have to continue with that fight against the impulses for infinite time after some time you find they are falling off, they are no more disturbing and the detachment is becoming something spontaneous. So that's the basic idea of tapas. So what happens with the tapas, we, become, we develop more and more viraga and that takes care of the affliction named as raga attachment. With the help of tapas and developing more and more Viraga, which is attenuating, reducing my intense attachment for the sense of pleasures of life. And then Ishwara Pranidhana. How it helps? Ishwara Pranidhana, that it's a special type of devotion where I've resigned myself to the divine. I don't keep anything for myself. The divine who is sitting in my heart, I have the idea, this basic awareness that all the so-called good emotions, the good qualities, the good traits that I have, like love, compassion, fellow feeling, thinking of the well-being of others, those qualities, if you judge, is not something which you own. It is not that you have developed. God has implanted those good feelings within your heart. When the mother loves the child, It's not that the mother's credit is there for it. God has made the creation in such a way that the mother is bound to love the child. If we know that, what happens? That instead of thinking, I am loving, I become aware of the fact that in this creation, God is taking care of his creation. I'm just the channel. It's God's love which is flowing through the mother to take care of God's creation of the child. Once we have that awareness, then the question of expectation falls off. That it's not me. I'm just a mere instrument through which God is working. That's what has been indicated in the Bhagavad Gita. Nimitta Matra Bhava Savya Sachi. Just become the Nimitta, just the instrument. It is I who am working through you. Once we have that, what happens? Now, if my love is reciprocated, well and good. If it is not reciprocated, the child grows up, becomes it totally antisocial element, brutal, cruel, behaves badly with the parent. But as the so-called the parent, or because of the awareness that I am after all an instrument, I have done the job as being an instrument of the divine. What all nourishment, What all care education has to be given was given to the child through me. Now the child's own sanskaras are unfolding. I in no way feel dejected or sad about it. I have done my job. So there what happens for all the so-called the repercussions which come for your love, for your compassion. You in no way feel that uh, tremendous that dejection that is not there so what has happened the dwesha the duesha, the hatred factor falls off with ishwara pranidhana when you are totally resigned to the divine there cannot be any hatred towards anyone so ishwara pranidhana takes care of the hatred it attenuates the hatred and the what you say there's uh, Swadhyaya. Swadhyaya takes care of abhinivation. The tremendous clinging to life, tremendous fear for the death. How? When the Swadhyaya means the repetition on your conviction when the Guru is giving you the mantra, the mantra actually speaks of the intellectual conviction which you have developed after hearing the scriptures, after hearing the words of the Guru, that conviction now has to be repeated, Nididhyasana. First, the Guru or the scriptures gives me the spiritual instruction that I hear, Sravana. After that, I go on cogitating upon it. At the beginning, there is a lot of, there is there are many gaps in understanding. I humbly believe the fact that the scripture cannot be false. It is true. Most probably there is a lack of understanding. It's something I am lacking. It's not the scriptures which has to be doubted. And with that type of faith, when I go on doing manana, cogitating, at last the intellectual conviction comes. And that's the proper time when guru to match your intellectual conviction gives the mantra. That is, the, the intellectual conviction is encoded in that. Now comes the process of Nididhyasana, which will take you to the ultimate realization. But before ultimate realization, the Nididhyasana can actually help us to get rid of Abhinivesha. How? Even in your day-to-day life, you will find that when you do something with your full attention, the other things, your attention for the other things, the distractions automatically falls off. When you are talking to someone, you will find that if if someone calls you, if there is some noise, you get distracted. Why? Because just to continue with the conversation, only a part of your mind is required. But when you are watching the televisions, your favorite game is going on, someone calls you don't hear. The more you are attentive, the more you are focused, the more part of your mind is engaged in that thing. Very little portion of your mind remains to take care of other activities. Not only that, if you go on intensely doing something with more and more focus, a surgeon when operating on a patient, for eight hours, most probably he's standing. He have not even drank a single uh, glass of water, no food, but he doesn't feel. Why his total focus was on the age of the scalpel. He knew very well, he or she knew very well, a little mistake can be at the cost of the life of the patient. That necessity gave a tremendous concentration. And that concentration was so intense, the mind had no scope to take care even of hunger, what to speak of the external distractions of hunger, thirst, nothing. Because the entire mind is absorbed in that. And as a result, what happens? As long as the surgeon is in the operation theater, is undergoing that surgery process, is just undertaking that surgery, you will find he has almost lost the sense of body. It's only when the surgery, this uh, operation is over, then he feels, oh, I'm so tired. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. Not before that. So the more we are focused, the more the bodily feelings also falls off. You become as if we, they, her. So in nididhyasana, when you are doing sadha, this Swadhyaya, you are repeating the mantra. The more you become adept in it, the more the flow ensues, the more your mind gets absorbed in it, the more the bodily feeling starts falling off. The tremendous clinging to this psychophysical existence star just gets loosened. And as a result what happens? that Abhisneha, that the tremendous clinging to life, the fear of death, that gets attenuated. So these other this kriya yoga helps us to get rid of the ultimate evolutes of affliction, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. But this Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha, this all the three has evolved from Asmita. The conscious principle which in no way is limited within the psychophysical existence starts thinking because of the ignorance that it is the psychophysical existence. And from that Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha comes. So what we have to take care of is the Asmita. After we have taken care of Ragadvesha, Abhinivesha to certain extent, the intensity has been reduced. It It can not go off totally till the Asmita is taken care of because Asmita is the cause of all those three. So after I have attenuated, after I have reduced the strength to certain extent, now comes the practice of Viveka Khyati. Constantly contemplating on your real nature that I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses. I am the Atman. Aham Brahmasmi. So this purifies you. This constantly, this thought is knocking in the head of the Asmita. The Asmita is like the hub of the will. Ragadvesha, Abhinivesha, all these three are like the spikes. By lot of practice, I may get rid of one addiction. It is just getting rid of one of the spikes. But the will is still intact because the hub is there to support the other spikes so how i can really get rid of the entire will how the will can totally collapse if i can just get rid of the hub itself all the spikes collapses at a time and that's what is the practice of viveka khyati it helps us to get rid of the asmita and then all the desires falls at a time and that actually has been spoken of as the sukshma that when raga dvesha abhinivesh has been attenuated they become subtle then only through the practice of viveka kyati i can enable pratiprasava prasava means what because of the ego the ego is just like the whirlpool in an ocean, in, a, in the river you know when when the whirlpool is formed it gathers whatever it finds in its surrounding. So ego is like a whirlpool. So when it is there, so it, this our personality has been developed by gathering in all the perceptions. And that is evolution. The whirlpool has set in, and that, that's how we are evolving. Pratiprasava means dissolution. Prasava means evolution. Pratiprasava means dissolution. So when the ego was strong, it was constantly accumulating the sanskaras. Now, by constantly hammering on the ego, when you have gotten rid of the ego, the hub has been taken away. Then the prati prasava dissolution sets in. This your identification with this limited psychophysical existence that starts falling off. That's what is meant by prati prasava. That alone can give you the assurance, the guarantee that there won't be any bondage for you anymore. As long as I am just dealing with a particular desire, know it for certain, there are other desires which still keeps you bound. It's the only when the ego has been got rid of, then only we can th- really ensure that, that liberation is waiting for me so that's why in English they say very interesting thing that you know that in the Abrahamic religion the sin is given importance that we sin but in Vedanta we say we are not sinners we are the perfectly pure beings conscious principle because of ignorance this ego has came into picture and all the so called this all the uh, Afflictions results from it. So in Vedanta actually sin is the I. The ego. If you take the word sin, S-I-N, sin, the core of sin is I. Literally, between S and N, the alphabet I is there. So the even literally the core of sin is I. In Vedanta, in yoga, even in spiritual sense, not only just in the literal sense, the core of sin is I, that asmita. Get rid of it. The entire, that's this, what you say, the your personality, which is nothing but the conglomeration of Ragadvesha Bhinivesha. The things I like, the things I hate, the things which I am afraid of. They just fall off at a time. So this idea can be very Clearly understood. We have given that example again and again that Ramakrishna with the help of a wonderful parable is explaining this idea that renunciation happens at a time. It's not that one by one we get rid of our attachments. That's just something uh, which has some immediate effect but in the long term effect real renunciation means all the desires falls off at a time. What is that parable? that a man, a, a villager was going out to have a dip in the village pond after the day's work. And seeing him going out, suddenly the wife called him out and told, did you know, did you, have you heard that our neighbor, that, the, that our neighbor, the man, the person is a real detached person. Well, what have you seen in him? That he's, you're saying that he's a detached? No, he is having, he was having 12 wives and he was renouncing them one by one. That's what Ramakrishna in a very funny way, is saying that story. And this man told, this man addressed his wife, you're fool, can anyone renounce one by one? Do you want to see what renunciation is? Okay, I leave, I leave forever. See, he was going to have a dip in the village pond. He was just wearing a loincloth and was having a towel on his shoulder. Nothing else. With that loincloth and the towel in the shoulder, he left never to come back again. Ramakrishna is saying that is the renunciation. That it never happens just little by little. Just in a flash, it falls off. So when to the Viveka Khyati, the ego has been totally annihilated, The all the desires, all our afflictions in the form of raga, dvesha, abhinivesha falls off at a time to render you freedom by ensuring the process of pratiprasava. So that's what we studied in the 10th sutra. In the last class we were studying that. And before that Viveka Khyati entails that pratiprasava, constantly what we have to do, That's the 11th sutra says, Dhyana. Heya Tat Vrittaya, that meditation. That med- through meditation, I find it's not easy. I cannot have that intense meditation at the beginning. And it may take years. And there are many who will say for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I am meditating as if it, it is of no avail. That is, there is no change in my life. But is it really so? We may not feel, we may not sense any change, but know it for certain, change is happening. To give a common example, if rock, a coarse rock is lying on the bed of the river, the river bed, water is flowing over it. The river stream is flowing over it. At any moment of time, you go and see the rock, there is no change. But in hundreds of years, the same rock, will become like a Shiva Linga, totally smooth. Though no change was visible, but it was happening. So this flow of the river is just like that, our meditation. Sometimes we feel there is no change. Nothing is transforming. Yes, apparently it appears so, but the change is happening. Gradually, it is seeping in. it is dripping. It is changing your total psyche. And the renunciation is bound to come. It is not, it won't come little by little. When that real when all that, what is in the flow has at last enabled you to get rid of the ego, then all the desires at a time will fall off. So Dhyana is the process of removing the angularities by constantly thinking of your real nature, that I am the self. Even a devotee, when he thinks that I am a devotee of God. It is actually the same process. When, when you think that you are a devotee of God, God is I am. Do you ever think that, that uh, just you are a limited being who was born at certain time, who are going to die at certain time and your relationship with God is just like the relationship with your relatives, with your husband, with your wife, with your children, which is going to end with your death, which started with your birth. Do we think that our relation with the God is something like that? No. The moment I am a devotee of God, I know from the bottom of my heart that these all are temporary, but my relation with God is eternal. I am eternal, God is eternal, and our companionship is eternal. So now you will find what the devotee is doing is the same as the jnani. He's constantly asserting his real eternal nature by his devotion to God. And that also is helping him to get rid of that asmita. So you will find basically it's all the same. That all those contradictions are apparent, but it is doing, if you go see to see the way it is programmed, the programming which has ensued by in transforming your psyche, it's almost the same process which has uh, been inducted by jnana as well as bhakti. And that's the thing which has been spoken of as the Dhyana. Either through devotion or through discrimination. It has, to be, it has to go on till that Viveka Khyati ensues and Pratiprasava happens. So Dhyana, here By meditation, the gross modification of the Vrittis has to be rejected. So after saying this, now that if we cannot, now the question comes that why we have to get rid of afflictions? I may say that I don't, uh, I'm quite happy with this uh, life, with the pleasures and the afflictions of life. Here the Yoga Sutra will come that this actually is resulting in transmigration. Life after life, because of these afflictions, we are being tossed. Sometimes we are in the crest of a wonderful life, and at the next moment, we are in the trough. We have fallen in the trough of total dejection. A life where we find nothing is in my favorable condition. That how it happens, why it happens. As long as the glaciers are there, we are bound to be in this flux of crest and trough, in this flow. Sometimes we are at the peak. Sometimes we are in the trough. Dejection it's bound to be there. And it goes on through the process of uh, life and death, cycle of life and death, birth after birth, how it happens. Very scientifically, the Yoga Sutra deals with it from the 12th to the 14th Sutra of the second chapter. And this uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutra uh, deals with from the 12th to the 14th Sutra of the second chapter. So now uh, we will share the screen to refer to the this 12th, 13th and the 14th. Sutra So the Twelfth Sutra. klesha moola karma drishta adrishta janma vedaniya this is the 12th sutra that what it is speaking klesha moola as long as the afflictions are the are the moola are the, as are, are there as the origin just the way the seed is the moola of the plant Similarly, when the kleshas are mula, are the origin, then what happens? Klesha, mula, karmashaya. Drishta, adrishta, janma, vedaniya. And in this birth, the karmashaya is going to ensue. The word karmashaya is a technical term. We will try to understand. Yoga is a very, very scientific way of describing the process of transmigration. That karmashaya doesn't mean karma. It doesn't mean Saṃskara. It doesn't mean uh, Vasana. All those terms sometimes we confuse to be the same. These have specific meaning. Once you understand you will find that how scientific how wonderful this Yoga Shastra is. There's this what he's saying that Karma Shaya becomes active either in this life or in the next life as long as the afflictions are there as the origin for all our thoughts, perceptions and actions. So now what this karma shaya mean? Now let us gradually try to understand. So what's the uh, thing which is going on in our mind constantly that we are all aware of is the vrittis. This constant mental modulation. It never stops. In the yoga sutra, they have told in the very beginning that even in deep sleep, the vrittis are there. Vrittis only stops by yoga. Yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodha. The entire purpose of yoga is to stop those vrittis. Unless you have stopped those vrittis, the chitta continues. Now, the word vritti is very interesting. What What vritti means? Vritti doesn't mean mental modulation. Vritti actually means occupation, profession. Just to give an example, the doctor is vritti. What is the vritti of the meditators? A, a, a doctor's profession is the vritti. Is his vritti? His profession is his vritti. Now, what profession means? The doctor sustains himself by his profession. That is the vritti. An engineer sustains himself by his profession. By being an engineer, the work he does as an engineer, for that he gets paid and that by that he sustains himself. So Vritti actually means profession. Then why the modulations of mind has been termed as Vritti? Very interesting. Why? Because as long as those modulations are there, the Chitta is sustained. It is not going to die off. So that's why they are the occupation of the Chitta. I have to get rid of them so that the Pratiprasava, the Chitta falls off to allow me to understand who I am, really who I am. That's the basic difference between the Eastern philosophy and the Western philosophy. In the Western philosophy, the soul is equated with the mind as if the mind is the soul. And the Eastern philosophy, Oriental philosophy, the idea is you can know who you are only when you can go beyond the mind. So, this vritti is the thing which is the cause of our bondage. Now, just as we today started our discussion, this vritti, we all know, can be two types. One is the jnana vritti, aklishta vritti, and other is the klishta vritti. Non afflictive means my emotions, my um, modulations, this each and every mental modulation is not connected with any emotions or any feeling. Just when I see the table, the chair, it's just, it gives me knowledge. When I'm doing mathematics, it is in no way giving me happiness or something. It's just knowledge. Such type of vrittis are jnana vritti. They are aklishta. We have nothing to do with them. The other type of vrittis is klishta vritti. Which is afflictive, that all our spiritual endeavor is to get rid of that klistavritti. Now, this klistavritti creates what you say that is because of that results in bhoga vritti. isn't it? All the klishta is linked with bhoga, the enjoyment, the experience, that the delicacy which I like. You are going, uh, you are down the street, and there is a. Sweet meat shop. Just by seeing the delicacies there, immediately that experience that the Sriti, the memory comes. Oh, previously I've tested. It is such a such and such and such delicacy it is wonderful. You're drawn towards it. So, what is happening? The Vritti is resulting in the Bhogavritti, and that results is the bhoga samskara. That sometimes I've already tested that delicacy that has created the samskara. Again, by seeing it the memory comes back. That is, Bhoga Samskara results in Bhoga Smriti. The memory comes back. When they have this Bhoga Smriti, it results in Karma. I am drawn. I am just now walking towards the sweetmeat shop. This Bhoga Smriti is motivating me to act upon it. Karma. Now, this Bhoga Samskara, Bhoga smrithi, Karma, all these are again becoming, getting converted into samskara. They are not lost. Once you have enjoyed the delicacy, it remains as samskara and that karma you are doing, that again when you see it that your motivation to go and have it that also has a karma samskara. Karma samskara jnana samskara both remains as vasana in your deep subconscious mind. This Our mind is full of vasanas. Innumerable vasanas are there so many things for lives together we are enjoying These all samskaras at last sediments in the subconscious mind as vasana so that is one thing happening another thing is happening what is karmasha and i will let us try to understand that vasana is all the samskaras which is sedimenting in your mind to form that this, uh, uh, to f- uh, form the subconscious mind it is there now what is Karmashaya? The term which has been used here. Karmashaya is very interesting. That my when I do action, in one way it produces Saṅskara, in another way it is producing some favorable condition where my Saṅskara's will be fructified. There are two things to give. The example is the best way to understand. Suppose a small child has developed the liking for studies. The child likes to study. And as a result, it is found that he he or she is good in all the subjects. He or she is performing well and just being promoted from grade after grade and reaches the 12th standard. And because of the very good grades, now all the so-called higher education streams are open to him or her. He or she can enter the medical college or the engineering college or some uh, professional course, any other professional course or academic course, everything is open. Now he or she chooses to be a medical student, gets admitted to the medical college. Now what is karma shaya, you will understand. That when that student was has developed the liking for study, the Sanskara one that it was a direct, that liking for study, that the studies has resulted in the good sanskara in the form of liking for study. That is something which I have the direct control, It is a direct result of my karma, direct result of my uh, repeated actions, It is a direct result, It is a sanskara. But the medical college, is it the result of my action, it is the result of the collective effort. The entire society has contributed to build that medical college that my interest in studies in no way is going to build up that huge medical college with a huge campus now what has happened that my action in one way it's creating sanskara in another way the collective effort effort has created a wonderful circumstance where i will be gravitated Where I will be gravitated to fructify all the sanskaras which I have developed through my endeavor. So this is the wonderful idea in the Yoga Sutra. So Karmasha is something which is not karma. The word itself you will understand. Ashaya means receptacle. That karma, the receptacle of karma. That your karma has taken you to a particular receptacle. Now you find the favorable circumstances for those karma to fructify. Now you will understand a very another interesting thing. That karma shaya, that once that karma shaya, particular karma shaya has got activated. Now there are so many vasanas. All those vasanas are not going to be manifested just at a time based on the karma shaya, only particular vasanas will find expression in your life. In that particular jati. To give an example, see so that student, again, let us go back to the example of the student. The student, when he was or she was in the school, he or she was good in all the subjects. He or she has an interest in all the subjects. But the moment he or she gets admitted to the medical college, now the interest in all other subjects that gets shadowed. Only the interest in the biological science that now manifests. So why? Because now being a medical student this karma shaya, this medical student only this vasana is favorable for that. Others are there but they are hidden. They are not seen. But most probably in the later life when already he's established or she's established as a doctor, and now he or she has some laser. And then quite at an advanced age, that the love for the music which he or she had as a child, that comes back, and now or she gets some time to practice that, to cultivate that, but it was hidden. So that's the idea of karma a wonderful idea. Why it has been spoken of? that actually you know that many will be opposing the idea of my past experiences has resulted in the present inclinations. This is just hereditary. Here we find yoga has given a wonderful rational way of understanding the vasanas. He's saying that if everything is in the memory, why don't they manifest? To give a very common example, a funny example that if we believe in the theory of evolution, then most probably we were a grazing animal some three, four lives or ten lives back. Now, as a grazing animal, the green grass was something which we really liked. So, the desire for that having green grass is supposed to be there deep in my psyche. Now, as a human being, I never find that. Uh, that green grass is something attractive to me. I never salivate seeing the green grass. You may salivate seeing a delicacy, but seeing this green grass, I never salivate. it. But if it is deep in my psyche, why don't I really feel that urge to go and have it? So that's the question. So here Yoga Sutra says, just the way for the medical student, when the Jati is medical student, other desires get shadowed here also. For the human birth, only those vasanas, which are appropriate to the human birth, they only manifest. The others are there. If I again have to regress back to the animal birth because of my bad karma, they will again regress back, they will again manifest. If I regress back, they will manifest, but they're hidden. So now you will find the importance, which we already spoken of in the 10th Sutra, that how to get rid of the ego, if you think that all the desires which has manifested in life, I will take care of them one by one. Know it for certain, you can never attain liberation because there are so many desires we are not aware of. They're hiding there in the subconscious mind to spring up moment they get the favorable circumstance. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, a seed was lying on the terrace for a decade, for 10 years. It was almost like dead seed. And one day a strong wind just came and blew that seed and it fell in the ground. The moment it fell on the fertile ground, it sprouted. which was appearing as lifeless. So similarly in our psyche, there are so many desires, which they, as they are not favorable for this present birth, are lying there like the dead seed. But the moment they get the favorable circumstances, they will sprout. So how can I get liberation? Now all those desires are hooked to that asmita. So to have to get rid of that. So that's why we have already studied. Now you will understand that how they are saying that kleshas, which is linked with the asmita, as long as they have not been taken care of, you can never get rid of them one by one. So there are so many vasanas which are hidden. So, how the birth, our karmasha is effect taking effect? As per the karmasha, when I am born in a particular body, only those vasaras which are favorable to that body finds expression as jati, ayu, bhoga. That will determine your jati, the species in which you are born, ayu, your lifespan, and bhoga, the experiences which you have to go through. To understand that, Let us go back to that example of that medical student. The moment that he or she gets admitted to the medical college, the jatis, what species? That he or she is a medical student. Ayu. What is the ayu? Speaks the duration for which he has or she has to be in that course. And bhoga. Now, the moment one gets chance in the medical college, that doesn't mean that they are going to have the same experience. Someone is a really intelligent student, really hardworking. They easily pass through the course without much hurdles. But the one who somehow entered that college, you will find that they're really facing the challenges, a lot of hurdles. They're finding the course to be quite difficult. It is giving them quite a lot of pain. So that all the medical student doesn't have the same experience. So the bhoga can be different. The same thing happens with our birth. In this present birth, what that our tendency, all the tendencies, the resultant tendency will decide the course for the next birth. Once it is decided, what the, what will be the lifespan, what all experiences we have to go through, that also is determined by that the what all vasanas has filtered through that jati. By on that it depends. And that has been indicated in this sutra this Kleshamul, as long as the Kleshas are there, the Karmasha is bound to fructify. Either in this birth itself, just as in the case of the medical student, in this birth itself, or in the next birth. Suppose we find that there are so many ch- this ch- child prodigies. And sometimes we are surprised at how can such a small child be so good in music as if from the very birth he or she has learned. What has happened? In the previous birth, most probably he had that sanskara. Many say that most of the child prodigy are born in a, uh, that type of family, a musician's family, and that's why he is having the musical talent. But again, the Yoga Sutra says, yes, that's quite obvious. Your dislike for music, your liking for the music, has gravitated you to a family where you get that environment where that will really fructify. And in a very, very tender age, you find. It is manifesting in a wonderful way. So that's the idea that of Jan Mantra, that either in this birth itself or in the next birth you are getting the favorable circumstances where the intense desire is now going to get fructified. It's going to manifest. You get that ashaya, that receptacle where you are going to manifest them. So this, your what you say the your uh, afflictions, your likings, your dislikings, that's what gravitates you to a particular type of birth, to a particular type of environment. Today, we will just, with an example, we will stop the discussion with this sutra. It's something which I have experienced uh, when I joined long back in one of our centers in Ramakrishna Mission in India. So, as a Brahmachari when I was in that center, suddenly a, from a devoted family, it was a very, was a very uh, sad mishap you can say, that somehow accidentally that the devoted parents who were a devotee of uh, this Ramakrishna tradition for quite long, their child got, because of wrong association got addicted, was a drug addict. So they almost lost hope. They brought their child to the ashram and asked the injured Swami, requested, will you please keep him? Don't allow this my child to go out. Let him stay in the ashram. Make sure that, that he never cross, he just goes out of the gate. And keep him engaged. Give him a lot of work. For the shrine, for cleaning, for the dining hall, in the kitchen. In the garden, let him be throughout the day. Be engaged. That engagement most probably will help him to get rid of the addiction. This environment, wonderful environment, and all those engagement. The Swami agreed. Okay, you keep him here. Let's see what we can do. At the beginning, we found that he is almost like a normal child. We never uh, realized that the that he having a terrible addiction. But the first thing we started finding was. Suddenly in our ashram, we never used to lock our doors, our personal belongings were missing. If some of the Swamis had a radio, in those days the radio was there to, for, for hearing the news, suddenly we found the radio is not there, the alarm clock is not there, the watch is not there. These all small tidbits were missing. If someone had some little personal money missing, no one understood that, who, that because the ashram is totally secure. So this boundary wall is there, the gate is there, the gatekeeper is there. There's no questions of some, someone coming from outside and stealing the thing. It must be the inmates. But no one had an idea, no clue that who is doing that. And then one day in the shrine, the Pranami box, the offering box, that itself was totally uh, unscrewed and taken. And the box was missing. The entire box was taken away. And we first scolded the security guard thinking that most probably he, was, he fell asleep. Someone must have entered. And it happened a second time. Again, this offering box was totally taken away. And for after three, four months, suddenly one day, at the date of the night, the security was blowing the whistle very strongly. And he went and just called us all the monks. Please come. And we found that he has tied that kept that boy just locked in a room. That which boy, the one who was the drug addict, who was staying in the ashram, apparently he was leading a normal life. Now the security guard took us to that boy and asked that boy, Show, what were you doing? as the boy was already caught red-handed, he took us beyond behind the garage. And he showed us that he has dug one hole there. Previously twice, he actually has removed the offering box and kept those offering box in that hole, which, is, which was not noticed by anyone. For the third time when he was doing, he was caught. So we were really surprised. He goes, why? why are you doing this? Why are you? And then we found that all the bits which were stolen was actually he who was the one who was the miscreant. He was just stealing the things from the ashram and we asked why, why, why are you doing this? And what he told was really shocking. This boy not as for a single day went out of the ashram, not for a single day. He never went out of the ashram. He was in the ashram and that is something that ashram is in a place which is hundreds of kilometers away from his native place. So that locality was totally new to him. No one was known to him outside. So the parents were almost ensured that he as he has been dissociated from his old associations. So he's a bit safe. If he can stay in the ashram, he will be a bit safe. And that's what we thought. Now what he told was really something, uh was shocking. He told that this, the drug peddlers somehow sensed that there is an addict here in this room. In the ashram anyone can enter when the peddler has entered and started giving drugs free to this boy now no one has noticed. Not only that after some time he started asking for money and then we had to get the money he started stealing and at last this is the fate he made with and then we had to call the parent he had to take away but why we are staying this story just see That what's the karma share? That if you have a desire, it is bound to be fulfilled. That environment will be created. He was in a total new place. He was not known to anyone. The old association was totally cut off. See, the drug peddlers never came to us. It was just to that person. Somehow they sensed that he is a drug addict. See, from that in a total new atmosphere, he gravitated to that environment where his desires is bound to be fulfilled. So that's how strong the desires are. Once you have a desire, you will be gravitated to that circumstance for and that will force you to fulfill, to be in it and fulfill those desires. So unless we can get rid of them, this process goes on. Karma shaya is that field where we are gravitated again and again. Where our Sanskaras, that strong Sanskaras, fructifies. So this will give an idea that what this transmigration process, which the Vedanta which yoga is speaking of here. So, in a very nice way, the yoga has dealt with this idea of transmigration. So we have to another two sutras. There's this actually this is Jati Ayu Bhoga. This has been spoken of in the next sutra we have already discussed. What that? Sati mule tad vipake jati ayu That the, As long as these kleshas are there in the, the root, this karma fire produces what? This particular birth in a particular species which determines your lifespan and which determines the experiences which you have to go through. So this the 14 sutra which we will take, take up in the next class. That's te lada paritapa fala punya apunya haituat. So so as based on your good and bad actions, the experiences will be according, we will accrue accordingly. So that will be taken up in the 14th sutra. We will take up that 14th sutra before we proceed to the next sutra, uh, the 15th sutra, which will be dealing with some different subjects. So Uh, Here we conclude our uh, discussion today. And just before uh, uh, stopping our class, I have an announcement. Please wait one minute. Let me just talk.